This is Sermon Smith, the bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation, and my name is John Chandler. Today's guest is Pastor Brian Loritz. <laughs> I had to stop and think about that because I pronounced his name wrong earlier, and I didn't even get that I pre- was pronouncing it wrong until the end when he said what his uh, Twitter was. So thank you for your graciousness, Pastor Brian. One note before we get into this, I want to apologize. Uh, in this podcast, we were having some technical problems with the recording. I had to try a different way of recording uh, than my my usual method, and it resulted in a couple things. It picked up a little bit more background noise on his end, nothing too troubling, but, and this one was uh, error, just mental error on my part, I totally messed up my microphone settings on my end, so my audio does not sound very good at all on this one. Thankfully, you're here mostly to listen to him and not me, and he does a whole lot more talking than I do in this, as is the usual case. So hopefully that won't be uh, too disruptive for any of us. But you'll notice the audio quality is not up to the standard I would want to have. I hope it's not too distracting for you as you're listening. certainly shouldn't be when Pastor Brian is talking because he has some uh, really helpful things to say. If you are appreciating Sermon Smith, as I've been saying of late, uh, would love to have you come alongside and uh, partner with a podcast at patreon.com slash sermonsmith, P-A-T-R-E-O-N where you can make a pledge of $1, $2, $5, whatever amount you would choose per episode. Uh, just whatever you're able to do would be helpful as we cover uh, some of my time and the server costs uh, and hopefully the future expansion of the podcast as we try to take this to some next steps. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you after. Let's move right into it. Why don't we start, uh, Pastor Brian, and you tell us a little bit about uh, ALCF. Tell us about the church where you uh, are the senior pastor. Yeah, I serve a church called Abundant Life Christian Fellowship. We're located right here in Silicon Valley uh, in a section of Silicon Valley called Mountain View, which is right next to Abundant Life. I mean, excuse me, uh, Palo Alto. Uh, So we're probably about seven or so minutes away from Stanford. It's a multi-ethnic church, uh, multi-generational church, and uh, absolutely love serving the people here. And you're, uh, I mean, you've been there. When I first reached out to you, you were actually in the middle of your transition to Silicon Valley. So uh, what's the history of the church prior to you being there? Yeah, so church is, uh, abundant life as we know it is uh, 28 years, so 1989, ever since 1989. Uh, before then, it was known as the East Palo Alto Church of God, but it had gone through a, um, a nasty church split. So, I mean, technically speaking, you could trace the origins of the church all the way back to the 1960s, but really, we kind of look at 1989 as kind of the beginning point uh, of the church. So, And is it still within just... Just for the sake of context, is it still within a Church of God tradition? No, this is not a Church of God uh, church. Uh-uh. Got it. Okay. Uh, and so what would you say then is in the life of ALCF, what is the role of the sermon or the role of preaching? Yeah, so it uh, this church has kind of always had as the hallmark uh, of its existence just um, really solid uh, biblical uh, yet practical Bible teaching. Uh, that's what it's been focused on. It's uh, pretty much, with the exception of a few years since 1989, it's pretty much been on the radio um, for sure throughout the Bay. But the Bible teaching has actually, it went through a season where it was uh, across the country. So 
It's uh, it's what it's been known for historically, just strong, biblical, practical Bible teaching. Got it. And how long are your sermons typically? It looks like about 40 minutes from what I saw. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I'd, I'd probably put it closer to 50 minutes. Okay. But, I mean, there's there's... There's some wiggle room there. We're 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 in between forty and fifty. And do you do you preach just about every Sunday? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So then talk about. Um, I watched a little bit of your beginning of 2017 vision message, and you talked about how you do a lot of exegetical preaching. So talk about what that process looks like. About how you plan out what books you're going to teach through, and how far in advance you're doing some of that. Yeah, so I typically plan out about six months in advance, at the most a year in advance, but typically six months is uh, is the sweet spot for it. So I was done with the teaching calendar from January through June. I was done with that in November, and then that gets shot out to our creative team, and um, then we'll... I mean, we, we drew up a communications piece we call a preaching card um, that lets the people know, hey, here's what we're going to be talking about, uh, so they can utilize that to invite friends, neighbors, coworkers to come out uh, on specific Sundays that they feel like that sermon topic would really kind of hit where this person is living. So I'm typically done with the planning uh, of the, this, the teaching calendar two months, uh, ideally three months in advance. Um, so that's, that's what, what it looks like. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a lot of prayer, a lot of walking with the people, um, trying to discern where the body is at. I, I know some guys, they, they plan their preaching out way, way, way beyond what I do. I, I just, I don't want to just be focused on giving a word. I want to give a word in season for the flock. And so that's why I don't really, I, it's with rare exception, I go beyond six months in advance because you just have to know where the people are and be able to speak to some of those things. And even within that, I plan, but I plan in pencil. So there's wiggle room. Uh, I got complete freedom if, if I need to take a left turn, um, you know, to address something that's really specific. And so as you're planning those out, I mean, so if you're doing exegetical, some books can take more than six months. So do you tend to break books down into smaller pieces, or do you find that you'll take Matthew and know that you might only plan six months' worth of it? Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm new to this body, so sure. I'm not going to do um, a lot of my preaching right now. So, for example, we're, we're going through our five core values. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my preaching now at the start of a ministry, I, I just see church planners, man, a lot of these church planters, um, they just die a slow, miserable, painful death because they start out at their churches going, hey, I'm going to preach through the gospel of Mark. That's admirable, but I think when you're new to a ministry, um, I think you need to be speaking vision. You need to be speaking values. I do think it's good to throw in there a shorter book, like I did First Peter. Uh, this past fall. Uh, and a part of the reason why I did it, though, was connected to vision. I, I wanted them to be able to trust my ability to handle a text. Uh, but this is not, I'm too soon in my ministry to be thinking about a three-year walkthrough through the Gospel of Matthew. 
So I would not recommend a prolonged walk through a book of the Bible to a person who is within a year or two of, of being on their ministry post. Yeah. Got it. So even though you're talking about exegetical, you're still focusing right now, even on vision and some thematic stuff, but maybe just picking out a primary text that you're going to go with for each of those sermons. Well, I want to be careful because you keep using the term exegetical. Um, you can be exegetical and topical. I mean, I've kind of always gone with Alistair Bagg's classic definition of expository preaching. Uh, I think so many people make the mistake of of confusing expository preaching with a style of exposition. And what they, what mo what a lot of people mean when they hear expository, it means we're going to go with verse one, then verse two, then verse three, then verse four. Well, what Alistair Bagg says is, no, 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 no. Expository preaching is letting the text set the agenda for the message. And, and if that's the case, then um, you don't have to give kind of this classic running commentary on things. Uh, you, you can pick any topic. Like I did a series called Renew in January, but all of those messages were deeply expository, except for the state of the church one on January 22nd, but yeah, so you can be topical and exegetical, topical and expositional. That's good. I mean, I don't know that I've had somebody in all these interviews so far kind of make that much distinction between what would be exegetical versus expository, but that's a, that's a helpful way to look at it. And I, and now come to think about it, I guess when I listened to that sermon, you did say expository and not exegetical, but I often lump them together. So that's helpful. Yeah, 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 yeah. So knowing, uh, as you map out that plan, you know, in November, you wrote up six months worth. What do you come out of that with? Is it like a title and a text or do you have anything else written for each of those sermons? So I have title, I have text, I have series, but actually I have two titles. I have an internal title and an external title on the preaching card. The external title goes on there. And what, what I mean by that is this is, so I pastor in Silicon Valley, which is the most secular place in the country, only two to 3% Christian. Mm -hmm. So I title things that are um, outsider friendly. So um, yeah, I wish I had a copy of the, um, the preaching card in front of me, but I want my people and, and really Mark Dever does this with his preaching card. That's where I got it from. I want my people to take that preaching card and look at those titles through the lens of an unsaved coworker, neighbor, or friend. And then that unsaved coworker, neighbor, or friend who hears the title, there's a winsomeness to it that, that they go, yeah, I could I actually want to go hear more about that. And how do you, um, how do you make sure that you're speaking in a language? I, did you grow up in church? I don't know if you grew up in church. I grew up in church. Yeah. So you grew up in church. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you were at a church in Memphis. Um, I know you spent time in New York city as well, but like what steps do you take to be being in such a secular city as you describe, what steps do you take to make sure that you're speaking and using language that's going to connect with somebody who's walking in for the first time and not just filled with, you know, the, the typical church preaching language. Yeah. I mean, so you, you got to kill phrases like, you remember the story or you remember when, because they, they literally don't. 
outside of that, the uniqueness of Silicon Valley, um, which puts it in a different category than how most people would think of such phrases as seeker-friendly. Um, what you can do in Silicon Valley, in fact, New York is really similar, uh, although not as secular, but still secular. Um, you can speak with a high intellectual gear here um, because this is this, there's an intellectual energy to this part of the country. I mean, for example, Google, for every 10,000 um, uh, applications, they, they're, only, they're only hiring one, one person. So it's the best of the best. Of, I mean, I'm looking out on Sunday, and there's MBAs from Harvard. There's PhDs from Stanford. So on the one hand, you go, I've got to speak in a language uh, biblically speaking, that they can understand. But on the other hand, there's an incredible freedom to uh, put the cookies a little bit higher on the shelf. That, that, that comes across here in Silicon Valley. In fact, there's a sense in which if they don't respect you intellectually, it's just, it's, it's going to be really hard to reach these people. Sure. And is it, so you talked earlier about, you know, the church is multi-ethnic and multi-generational. Is it more middle and upper class just by means of location in terms of socioeconomics? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're, um, this is the most affluent section of the country. Uh, you won't find, uh, you'll very rarely, there's probably a handful of houses between San Francisco and San Jose, less than a million dollars. Sure. So, um, yeah, the, the issue of poverty, there's just not a whole lot of poor people in Silicon Valley. Now, you can find them on the bookend cities. You can find them in sections of San Jose. You can find them in sections of San Francisco. But on the peninsula in between those two cities, um, you know, th there's, there's certain sections like East Palo Alto, but that's dissipating to some degree. Uh, but there's still strong pockets of poverty in East Palo Alto um, and other sections. But for the most part, this is the richest of the rich. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for letting me chase that rabbit a little bit. But getting back to this internal and external title. So, I mean, you talked about the external title wanting to be in that language. What is the what's the purpose of that internal title? Does that help you kind of focus it and let your team know where you're going? Yeah, it's just kind of like um it, it, it helps me to wrap my mind around conceptually what I'm trying to communicate in that message. Um, so whereas right now we're in week three of a five-week series where we're just unpacking our core values, I'm going to call it that internal title is core values. That's the, that's the deal. The external title is DNA, the DNA of abundant life. Yeah. So that connects more. But, but conceptually, when I see the internal title, I go, okay, this is what we're walking through, our core values. Yeah, okay. Well, talk about what it looks like for you to put a sermon together. You're preaching every week or, you know, just about every week. And are you, and you, you know, you come in with the internal and the external title and a text. Are you starting on Monday or are you working on multiple sermons at a time? How does that work for you? I start on Sunday for the next Sunday sermon. Okay. So Sundays are observations. I'll take the text. I'll typically come up with a minimum of 25 observations on the text. Typically, we'll read the text about 10 times, just familiarize myself in it. 
Monday. Uh, so the way my, my days are formatted, um, as an introvert, I get my energy being by myself. So uh, my assistant knows mornings are for God, afternoons are for people. And that's an oversimplification that simply means that mornings are dedicated for the study of the Word of God. They're, those are no-fly zones for me. Now, that does several things. Number one, it allows me to allocate concentrated time for the study of God's Word. But number two, what that does for me, for my wiring, it allows me, because I get energy being by myself, come 1130 when I typically have a lunch appointment, my, 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 my energy and emotional tank are filled up and I'm ready to pour myself out to people in the afternoon and meetings and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's the basic framework. So Sundays are observations. Monday morning is word studies. That's the exegesis. Um, you know, if I need to do some searches on some theological components on the text, um, that's where all that happens. And that's several hours on Monday morning. Tuesdays are um, commentary days. So when I come into Tuesday, I have a typical idea, broadly speaking, of where I'm going. Commentaries help me to discern if I'm in the, in the ballpark. And you know this, commentary should never be a first resort. Wednesdays, uh, which is today, are outline days. That's where I put the message together. I have all my major points. I'm moving through explanation, illustration, application. Thursday by noon, I've got the manuscript written. A manuscript for me is five pages, space and a half, 10-point font. And I'm done Thursday at noon until Saturday evening sometime. And the reason why I'm done by Thursday is because my kids need a weekend. So um, I don't. I don't really touch it Friday or Saturday. Uh, Saturday evening, I'm going to read it about three times. Sunday morning, I'll probably read it another time, and then I'm ready to go. When do you start on Sunday? Is that Sunday evening? You just want to get a start on the week? Yeah, typically Sunday, somewhere between 5 and 7 in the evening. Because I would think Sunday you'd be uh, brain dead. I'm usually brain dead, but you've got enough energy for observations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure do. Yeah. Uh when you talk about putting together your outline, do you have a set structure that you like to follow every week? No, the the, the text determines the outline. Yeah. So, you know, this week I'm doing the woman caught in adultery section of scripture. And, you know, with narratives, um, I like telling the story and making pit stops along the way. Um, I'm not I'm not a big alliteration guy. Um so, but I'm talking about grace this Sunday and juxtaposing it with legalism. Um, so we'll, we'll just do that as we walk through the text. And I, 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 think, I think the text should determine um, the flow of the outline. So not just the points, but the way you approach those points, uh, which, of course, with a narrative is way different uh, than with a didactic section of Scripture like an epistle. And what's your what's your process look like as you're scratching observations and your word studies and all that, your commentaries, you know, before you're getting to this outline of manuscript? Are you do you have a legal pad? Like, what's the best way for you to capture notes? and, and all that? Well, all of this, I do all of it on my uh, on my Logos deal. So, oh, yeah. yeah, 
And that, so all of your commentaries and all that are in Logos as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I travel a ton. Like tomorrow, I've got to I got to head out of town. So it's just um, it's just helpful to have all that stuff kind of in one dedicated space on the computer. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I respect people who still use books, but I don't know how they do it because I love that I can go anywhere and have the whole thing with me. Yeah. Um, so. So from when, from watching you, you know, you talk about you've got this manuscript, which from what you described, five pages, 10 point font. That sounds like that's probably like a word for word prose, uh, you know, full prose, full sentences. But it looks like by Sunday morning, you're pretty much working memorized because I sure didn't see you looking at a manuscript. Yes. So it's it's memorized. But, you know, it's um, whenever I teach preaching, uh, I always tell students you you got to find your your unique style what works best for you I, I know some guys they're very visual and i literally know one guy he draws pictures yeah um and and he that he just sees it that way me um i tend to see i tend to see words on a page although i don't have a photographic memory um and what manuscripting does is uh, my friend H.B. Charles Jr. says, write yourself clear. Uh, it gives me clarity and it lets me work with words in a way that I can come up with some some memorable phrases. Uh, again, so I'm not an actor memorizing a script. I just want to internalize it. The key to effective communication is knowing what your next thought block or point is. So actually, um, it's like my friend Jared Alcantara says it in his book, Crossover Preaching. If you, if you think of preaching, um, the metaphor that comes to mind is jazz, and jazz is mostly improv. But your best jazz artists, it's deceptive. What makes improv work is meticulous practice, because... The more that thing is known and internalized, the more free and flexible you are to improvise. And so that's what that's what a manuscript does for me. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't keep me chained. It actually unleashes me yeah. because I, I, I know how to get back. I think that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, does does most of your does most of your sermon work happen in those mornings or are you finding that ideas are coming to you and thoughts that you need to capture are coming all the time in between a meeting, you know, dinner with your kids, or does it all happen in that morning's designated times for you? Uh, so, I mean, that, that's, that's a good question. I think on one hand, everything is sermon prep, right? right. So every, every time I read a book, um, everything's sermon prep, but for the specific message at hand to answer your question, I'd say 90 to 95% of it happens in those specific allocated times. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I, I think if I felt like I was done with my sermon on Thursday, uh, I mean, I definitely try to get a head start in my week, but I'm, my brain's going the whole time and I'm always thinking of, I'm going to move this around and I'm going to add this. So the fact that you can feel done on Thursday, is just a whole different story for me. Not to, not to critique your way. Right. Cause we all have our way that works for us, but it's just the thought of, I'm done and it's written out. Um, that would be that would be this amazing thing that I can't even wrap my brain around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the reason why I chose that is 
when I was in my early 20s and I was just afforded unusual favor in getting an inside view to a lot of well-known preachers' lives because of who my dad was. And one of the takeaways I came with away with, most of them did not have the kind of family life, the kind of relationship with their wives or kids that I wanted to emulate. And the common denominator was, um, see, our uptime as preachers is everybody else's downtime. And what I saw was because they didn't get rid of the, because they didn't get done early with the sermon, when their kids were out of school, when there was sufficient downtime, they were still working and it just wreaked havoc on their relationship. A lot of these kids just have strained relationships with their parents. So I said, I need to give my kids the gift of a weekend. Yeah. So that's great. That's great. Uh, Okay. Well, um, I know that we are, I know we're going to be pushing it for you time wise and I want to make some space to talk about a couple other things. Uh, What, what kind of work do you do on the back end as far as evaluating how your sermons went or do you have a process for that at all? Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I mean, once I give it, it's pretty much done. What'll happen to me typically about four to six times a year, typically the the Holy Spirit will say, that's a message I want you to give to the broader body. Um, so praise God for Dropbox, all that stuff gets, gets saved on the Dropbox, but pretty much once it's delivered, I'm done with it and I'm thinking about the next thing, but I'm also kind of always fiddling with how in general can I improve as a preacher? So I'm always just thinking through that. So, um, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much done with that given sermon. Cause by Sunday night, you're ready for the next one. Or you're getting yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, anytime I interview somebody who's written some books and especially recently, I try to give them a chance to talk about that. And you want to talk about that, whether it's saving the saved, which is your more recent one or any of your books. Do you want to talk about those? No, we don't have to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I talked about them for you. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to read some of his books, you can find them on Amazon and in his bio on the website. Uh, how about the other way around then? You mentioned crossover preaching, but what are some other books or resources that have helped shape you as a preacher? They don't have to be preaching books, but of course it's great if they are. Why Johnny Can't Read? is an excellent book on preaching. Really insightful. Um, Of course, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones' wonderful book, Preaching and Preachers. Really good. Um, I found um, preaching in the context I'm preaching, uh, Tim Keller's book on preaching to be really helpful for preachers who are trying to figure out how do I do this in a non-Bible Belt um, setting, that was that was extremely helpful. Uh, there's a great book called "The Jazz of Preaching." I, f- I forget his name. I'll find it. The, 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 those are just some helpful preaching resources. Yeah. All right. Uh, and so, for anybody who um, wants to keep up with what you're up to, like what's what's your Twitter or your website, website of the church, those things. Yeah. So Twitter is BC Loritz. B.C. Loritz, L-O-R-I-T-T-S. They can go to my personal website, brianloritz.co. Track with me there. If they type in A-L-C-F, 
in their app store, they can download our app and keep track with all of our sermons there. Great. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I got you to say that because now I know how to properly pronounce your last name. <laughs> Join the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Well, Pastor Brian, thanks so much for your time. This one, this one was a long time coming, so I appreciate you sticking with it as we tried to find the time to do it. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, Pastor Brian, for your time, and thank you for the rest of you for giving your time to listen into this podcast. I hope it's helpful for you. Appreciate hearing feedback from you from time to time, those of you who are learning things or, or have other things that might be helpful for uh, making this a better podcast. As always, iTunes reviews are helpful. You can just do a search for Sermon Smith, all one word on iTunes. Uh, and one of the things I learned recently is if you've rated the podcast before, you can actually go back and rate it again if it's been over a year. So uh, that's also helpful as well if you've done it in the past. And, of course, you can spread the word on Facebook, Twitter, let others know about what's happening here, some of the great conversations we're having. Thanks so much, friends.